It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Braccia on deck to break down this weekend's UFC 254, where Israel Adesanya finally goes up against the fellow undefeated fighter in Paulo Costa. Nick, we had a pretty damn solid card last week outside of the main event. It was full of finishes, full of entertaining fights. It was a great week for me. Not only did I win in our draft competition, not only did I have my sixth consecutive week with my betting profits, Nick, I also have that win over you. Life is good right about now, Nick. And we have UFC 254 coming up. A big fight card this weekend, Nick. How are you, buddy? I'm fine. You you squeaked by by a friggin' eye poke and a split decision. But if that's how you want to win, that's that's okay. My my picks were uh, highly successful, and my losses were by split decision and penalty. Whereas your losses, the fighters that you picked to win got cold cocked rocked and knocked out so I'll, I'll give you the win but i am right in your face picking pretty much just just as well and i'm not going anywhere i am ready to pick this week and i am going to beat you down and when the referee <laughs> tells me to stop i'm not gonna stop i'm gonna hit you again Nick. And again, and then I'm going to look, wait, I'm not done. Please, please. Then I'm going to look at your family in the crowd. I'm going to smile at them and then I'm going to hit them again. And then I'm going to run a quick uh, diagnostic test uh, to make sure it's safe. And then I'm going to lick your blood. <laughs> thank, thank you for that, Nikolai. For the record, Nick, uh, Mirsad Bektik did not lose a close split decision. That- <laughs> and Andre, you will, uh, you know, I think you felt well, that he had pretty good he, control was over a- Irvin Rivera there, Nikolai. But yeah, whatever feels good. Uh, split decision. Split decision. And we would have t- we would have tied if uh, and I think it's really questionable whether Nico Price deserved to have a there have been a lot more eye pokes in rounds before a point gets taken away. I don't I don't want to think say that the referee was over aggressive, over aggressive or unfair, but Price won that fight. I don't disagree with you. Some consistency with the refereeing and the judging would be fantastic. And I believe it was Kevin Mulhall who ref that fight. And he's a solid ref. He's somebody that I've been watching on the local scene. It's fine. Price also fought like a fucking idiot. But we can talk about that later. Let's quickly get into the comment event. Why not, Nick? So, I mean, geez, that, that certainly was the most exciting of the two headliners. So, Nico Price went at Donald Cerrone from the start. Unfortunately, there were two eye pokes, which uh, kind of made the referee have to take a point away from Nico Price. I don't know if he had to take the point. Here's how I feel, Nick. Is a point deduction fair? Yes. Should it be a full point? No, man. That's a third of a fight. I think there should be a half point deduction for that kind of situation where Cerrone didn't seemingly take a whole lot of damage from those eye pokes. And Nico Price didn't necessarily gain a whole lot from it. And Cerrone ended up getting a break anyway, right? Because he was getting kind of thrashed in that first round. So I think a half point would have been fair. This would have allowed Nico Price to still win the fight as long as he wins at least two of the rounds. And then if he does it again, then take another half point. I, I definitely hear uh, you know, no argument in that case. But I do think that, like, look, there's a certain element of getting away with fouls that we have in the sport that's been a consistency for a long time. 
and things are starting to close in on that a little bit. I think it's for the best. Guys grab cages, and they win rounds literally because of it, which means they end up winning a fight. That's one out of three rounds that they just that they just avoided losing because they grabbed onto that cage, right? Guys uh, go for those eye pokes. Daniel Cormier did it to Stipe Miocic probably 17 times between their three fights. Both of those guys ended up hurting each other pretty bad with eye pokes, and he got away with it. Uh, Kumar Usman head-butted uh, Jorge Masvidal probably 15 times in their fight. And he got away with every single one. I don't know. I don't even know if he got a warning. So I'm okay with guys being penalized. I just think it should be more reasonable than a full point for that kind of situation. If you're headbutting your opponent a third, a second or third time, take a goddamn full point away. But for two eye pokes where the other fighter isn't really complaining much, I don't know if that's entirely fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And then, of course, I agree. We, we would have tied. Um, <laughs> and I felt like I was really, I was overall very, very proud of my picking. And, uh, you know, Price, Price just went out too. He went out like, he went out like Anthony Smith against Teixeira. It's like, dude, it's not a three minute fight. Like, what do you, you know, and he, he ended up gassing himself to the point where his athleticism and speed um, was negated by Cerrone's remaining skills. Um, and they were pretty even uh, in the second and third round, although I think Price won the second round. He did, definitely. And the third round, I, I gave to, I gave to Cerrone. But the second round, he didn't have any moments, anything like um you know how overwhelming he was in the first round but it's like you're you're strong you can be explosive like be you know be measured he had every it was his fight it was his fight to lose based on how diminished um donald cerrone is his his reaction time is not what it was his pop wasn't what it was he doesn't respond uh to damage as well as he used to his defense just is not isn't isn't very good he gets kind of he, he kind of freezes up and Price just did not me- he he did not measure his attack he did not measure his gas tank, um, and and he seemed really happy with a draw after I think giving the fight away either by those penalties or by virtue of going you know going zero to sixty in the first ninety seconds. Uh, so, you know he was in there against a legend. I get that like I guess legend in quotes, but uh, you know he went he went in there like looking to get out quickly and happy with a kind of moral victory. So not a, not thrilled with, with the way that Nico price showed up for the big show. I actually think that Nico price did really, really well here. Here's the thing, Donald Cerrone, if his chin isn't weathered, he's beating Nico price a couple of years ago on paper, right? At least on paper. And in this fight, he showed a solid enough chin. Nico price, I think did the right thing in jumping onto him early on. You're telling me he gassed out. Like I hear you. He was slower, a little bit slower in that second round and third round, but what do you expect? He threw 115 strikes in the first round. And then he still threw 112 strikes in the second round, Nick. And then he still threw 85 strikes in the third round. Nick, Tyron Woodley may have not thrown this many strikes in his entire career, let alone in one fight. That's apples and oranges. My point is to say that he's gassed is I don't think that's fair. Like he's gonna slow down. He's throwing insane amounts of offense. Yeah, and I thought he lost all the mustard. He lost. I thought he lost. I don't know. He looked. It just seemed like he. It just seemed like he was struggling. They did not have as much sauce on them. No, he he didn't have as much sauce. But I think the game plan was to put it on Cerrone in the first round. And if Cerrone survives that first round maybe temper back a little bit because this could go to decision. That's what we've seen with Cerrone, right? Is that if you don't finish him in the first round and a half or so this fight is probably going to decision and he's probably going to do well late in the fight. And that's been kind of consistent. It happened in his last fight against Anthony Pettis as well. If you don't blast Donald Cerrone in the first few moments, which Nico Price very much tried to do, um, he's he's going to stick around and he's going to look good toward the end of the fight. 
And I think that Nico Price probably had that in mind. I think he did great, dude. He he threw so many strikes. He threw 312 strikes, Nick, over 100 strikes uh, per round. Like, I'm not complaining about his gas tank at all. I never have, and I never will. There's a reason the man can finish somebody okay. in the third round after after having a rough couple of rounds. Um, but, yeah, look, Donald Cerrone's still a skilled man. If you don't blast him out of there, he's going to do well. Nico Price was a significantly bigger man, even though they were about the same height. Nico Price is a genuine 170 pounder who could not dream of making 155 pounds whereas donald cerrone belongs one weight division down so nico price was kind of able to get away with a little bit more but let's face it he's not as skilled as cerrone he might have more power in his hands he might have more tenacity might be at this point in his career more of an opportunistic finisher but yeah i'm not going to be so hard on nico price for this one i thought he did fine and as far as him being happy here's the thing if it wasn't for that eye poke uh for that point deduction nico price clearly beat donald cerrone and I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be super mad at it. It was a little weird. He, he's he's over-exuberant, uh, I, I think it's safe to say. And maybe, you know, that comes off as a little bit dickish sometimes. I think that the guy was genuinely excited to legitimately earn, like he earned this this win over Donald Cerrone. Both Cerrone and him feel that way. Most of the MMA f- uh, community feels that way. You feel that way. And I'm, I assume it's not just because that's the difference between you uh, tying with me and losing the competition. So not going to be too hard on Nico Price, but I guess, I guess we've got to talk about the main event, Nick. It was another snoozer by Colby Covington, another snoozer by Tyron Woodley. I guess that's about what you can expect. Best case scenario here was that Kobe was going to throw hundreds and hundreds of distance strikes at Tyron as Tyron's back is against the fence. Instead, Kobe spent the majority of the fight either on top, which is fine, or just pressing him up against the fence. Uh, very kind of Kumar Usman style of, of winning a difficult fight. And, you know, Kobe should have every advantage on paper. It didn't have to be this boring, and it was. And then he went on a racist tirade right after, which was just wonderful to see. And and for this not to become a big deal, if if somebody in the NFL or the NBA said some of the things that he said to Kamaru Usman in that post-fight interview on ESPN, this would have been major news. And somehow in our bubble of MMA, this is being ignored that just this blatant racism, like he was going past dog whistles with some of the things that he said. Um, he's a piece of shit of a human being, but he is diligent, focused. He puts everything into this sport. Um, and outside of him being a complete piece of shit of a human being, he is a talented fighter. Yeah, he is. Uh, Woodley, we've talked about his last couple of fights. He, he, something's wrong. He should not be in there. We didn't, we, this fight went how we thought it was going to go mo- for the most part. Yep. Covington's got a great gas tank and great pressure. I think he's a mediocre kickboxer at best. I guess it's it's serviceable, but it only works because you're because his pressure and his gas tank are so great. You don't want to and you know you don't want to end up underneath him. He's such a talented uh, wrestler. Yep. Uh, I I thought that Usman did a really nice job. Um, maintaining his composure you could tell covington just had a couple of catchphrases the stupid marty fake newsman his you know his trump his trump stuff he he's uh yeah i mean covington's the worst and i'm i don't i don't even care what's a character and what's not when when chael sonin was doing some somewhat despicable stuff it was it was no some pretty despicable stuff it was clearly uh tongue-in-cheek cartoon and it was while it was while it was offensive, um, it it was just the country was different, you know. I'll, I'll never really say that what Chael said was okay, but 
I could roll with it in the context of what he was doing, like old school pro wrestling heel. It had such huge quotes around it. Um, but the way that Co- the way that Covington is uh, is behaving right now is, I think, pretty vile. And I, I hate the guy, which is, I guess, what he wants. I, I really hope that Masvidal can stay on his feet enough uh, to, to put him down. I'd much rather see Masvidal fight him than Leon Edwards. Um, and I don't want to see, I don't want Colby to get another shot against Usman. I feel like there's other people who deserve it. And like, God forbid he beats Usman. I don't want to listen to him. Yeah, that would be pretty bad. I don't think it's very likely that he beats Usman based on what we saw in that first fight. I broke your face. I broke your face. Oh, that was great. Nick, that was so great. For those that haven't seen it, Usman, he was at the desk in the post-fight show. And so he's on the team that interviews the winners and losers of this event. Kobe Covington came on, and of course, they you know started jawing at him. And Usman just kept responding with, I broke your face. You said that the last time, but... I broke your face. And Colby was getting so upset. He was getting so riled up. Nick, he started yelling at the top of his lungs to change the subject. I I did enjoy that part of that conversation. But, man, some of the stuff that Colby said outside of that about about Usman's tribe and and, uh, something about smoke signals, uh, it's just it's it's painful to watch. You know, it it does align with a lot of his personality and his politics. And at at this point, I'm over giving myself the idea that he is pretending he is a piece of shit on the inside and he is willing to show it in a way that, yeah, maybe he wouldn't have done had somebody not told him that it's good for his career, but you can never, ever, 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 no matter what, catch me saying that some of the stuff that he said, and I don't think you can catch you saying that stuff either. There's there's no money in the world. Oh my I, I don't God, think no. that, would, that would get us to say that. And so there's a certain piece of shit within him whether or not he he like is pretending or putting on a show. And I will say there were moments where in the post-fight presser where he was asked questions about Woodley and he kind of broke character a couple times. Uh, they were like, so, you know, what are your thoughts on Woodley? You know, he started talking about, oh, he's a great champion. You know, he had a great career. He did really well. And then the next question was, so is the beef settled with you guys? And that's when he went back into character talking about how he's a BLM terrorist and all that. I've actually just made this decision at this moment, Nick. From now on, when Colby fights, I will not be watching it on ESPN. In fact, I might just miss it entirely. I might just catch like an illegal download or highlight. I don't want to. I don't want to show the UFC that I'm interested in watching that man fight. Uh, you're a better man than me because I'm. I'm a sucker, and I will pay to watch him get his face broken again. Oh, maybe if he fights Usman, I just feel like in these matchups where he's gonna thrash his opponent. I would rather not. Uh, I don't know that he's going to thrash Masvidal. George Masvidal has really good takedown defense, and he's got very fast, unforgiving hands. And I'll tell you what he's not going to do. He's not going to hesitate to pull the trigger, and he hits really hard. I can't – I could see him hurting Covington because – you know, I mean, Covington's fairly durable. Masvidal hits hits hard, and he's he's fast. I – and – Covington's kickboxing really doesn't impress me. I know he looked fairly good against Usman, but Usman's not isn't a, you know, he's still primarily or primarily a wrestler. I mean, that's um, a safety zone. I would say I, they're both solid strikers at this point. Is is Kobe Covington a damaging striker? No, he wasn't really going to take the chance against Woodley. It seems like his team at the MMA Masters they were making it clear to him that like, yes, you're dominating, but be careful. He has that right hand. And Kobe, you know, said back to his coach, you're right. Like, he takes this seriously. 
Um, so, so I, I, th- I think there's a difference that the Usman fight went the way it did. And both him and Usman have this safety zone where they can decrease their chance of losing a fight. And that wasn't really an option as much against each other. And that's why they had an exciting kind of kickboxing bout. But I thought it was fairly high level. I think both those guys are solid fighters. I'm not saying they're uh, necessarily George Masvidal level, Jorge Masvidal level. But I will say this, Nick, as far as the Masvidal-Covington matchup, there is a YouTube video of them wrestling. They used to be roommates in their apartment, and Nick, Nick, yep. it is it is not competitive, man. Like Covington is tossing Masvidal around, and this is when Covington was a fraction of the fighter he is now, and where Masvidal was every bit as skilled as he is now. Like he, he hasn't necessarily improved a whole lot in his skill. He's he's improved with his tenacity. He's mentally just trying to kill people now. But the way that Covington was dominating him and tossing him around, man, I'm not so sure that it's in Masvidal's best interest, that matchup. I don't think Masvidal is going to take the fight, to be honest with you. He's smarter than that with his career. We'll see. We'll see. Um, let's talk about uh, a fight where you were pretty far off. <laughs> you were you were like you were toying with even picking Mirshar. You were like you you said if he was a little bit. <laughs> Give me one other MMA prognosticator. Give me one other odds maker that said Kamzat Shumayev has heavy hands and Gerald Mirchart has a bad chin. I made it very clear that like like had Kamzat not had the heavy hands, had Gerald not had a shitty chin, then I would have considered picking Gerald Mirchart. But because Kamzat is way faster, hits way harder, and Gerald can't take a shot, like th- this was a no-brainer to me. And that's why yeah. this was my second pick. And that's why, my friend, I beat you in this competition. But go on. I had the same pick, and I was much more confident in it. I well, think. if you were, then you should have picked him sooner, my Johnny friend. Johnny Walker did exactly what I thought he would do <laughs> against Ryan Spann. Wait, 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 wait. We we, we should talk about Kamzat Chimaev a little bit here. The, the, the kids All right, are- a little bit. Well, he, yeah. He, well, I mean, there's not much to say. He's he's still something of an enigma, but he's also a phenomenon. Yeah. And, uh, like, we'll see what happens against Maya, which is a challenge I think he'll get through. I don't think he's going to fight Maya. Because they're not talking about it like they did before, where like before the Gerald Mertrap fight, they were like, yeah, you know, we're putting Maya together. And after the fight, both Kamzat and Dana were like, yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll get him a fight soon. They they weren't talking about Dana and uh, uh, uh. Maya in the same way. And yeah, like after seeing that, because Kamzat has knockouts previously in his career, but they were pretty sloppy. That was a clean right hand. Granted, in the first few seconds of a fight. A lot of fighters who are overall not super skilled can look, you know, like they have clean technique. And with his power, obviously, it looked really good uh, putting Gerald Mirchart on his butt in the first few seconds with the first punch he fucking threw. But I, I agree with you. There's a lot of questions still. I'm still not convinced that he can persevere through tough times. Um, I would love to see him against a truly high-level fighter, not a guy that's kind of tailor-made for him because of the athletic disparity. The way that Gerald Mirchart was dominated by a couple of guys in the first rounds of, of his UFC fights guys who are a fraction of as athletic as comes out you got to kind of figure that comes going to do his thing but comes out fights at 170 he fights at 185 gerald Mirchard is a big guy very big ran right through him yeah i want him to pick a weight class man pick a lane i don't like i don't like a guy i'm a, I'm okay with this nick i i'm not he's um, down to compete for both titles just, like i'm fine with it he's a big motherfucker nick he didn't look that he didn't look smaller than Mirchard by a big margin man well then, fight then fight at one eighty five. Well, sure, but why? Why not? If you can fight twice as three times as often as other people, why the heck not see if you can dominate? Because this is a new thing; nobody's ever done that before, right? Somebody's won a title in one division, like moved their way up, like Conor McGregor, then switched divisions and won the title there immediately. Comes that Chimaev is on the come up in two divisions. 
I am interested. Like, if he can pull this off, this is like one in, like, there have probably been thousands of UFC fighters, uh, tens of thousands of UFC fighters. That's how rare he is. So I'm, I'm into the game. Here's what I'd like to see, though. Talk Here's what I'd like to see. I would, I would like to see him really. I'd like to see him run the gauntlet in one weight class and switch to the other. It could be quicker than Anderson Silva did before he he tested, you know, before he tested two hundred five. But I mean, jumping around when you're fighting unranked guys, I, I mean, I get it. I get, I guess it's an it's an interesting gimmick. I just um, it's if he finds out that he's too small for one eighty five or gets knocked out there and then goes to one seventy, some of the shine's going to be gone. I would I would just I don't know. I'd like to I'd like to see him uh, run the run the gauntlet in one in one division. That's fair. I, I just feel like you want him to do what everybody like a lot of other people have done and it seems to me like he has the opportunity and the willingness and the potentially the the talent to do what nobody has done is literally move his way up in two divisions granted he isn't fighting top fighters yet right but if he can do this against two top tenors in like a two or three month period yeah. if he can if he can i'm not saying he can um then that is special man he's moving his way up in both divisions he's not like conor mcgregor who like chose eddie alvarez or rda because they were great style matchups for him didn't have to fight any of the other monsters at 155 right he he is willing to move his way up and fight the best in both divisions i'm into it man like i i'm open to his journey i'm open to him kind of leading the way you're talking a situation where in the spring we could end up seeing him fight Robert Whitaker in January and Stephen Thompson in March. It's, I mean, Let's do it, Nick. I mean, that could be, that would be pretty crazy. Well, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. If he can get those wins, Nick, think about the level of superstar that he could, like, that's insanity. If he could beat both of those guys in those two divisions, literally two top fivers at 170 and 185, that's special. The few times that we've had champ champs, what happens? Divisional, divisional narratives get clogged. Because they hold back big money fights for particular events. Once the guys are making the money, they only fight once or twice a year. It's it hasn't really worked out I hear that. for the divisions. I hear where you're coming so from. That, I mean I just feel like he deserves a chance because he's willing to literally fight every week if you let him. And granted, you're right, the UFC might hold him back for, for many for many. That's reasons. different. When yeah. he gets a when he gets a real contract, he's not gonna be doing that. Yeah, you're you might you might just be right. I, I would not be at all be surprised. Money changes things and this man, I think it's safe to say, is about to make a lot of money. I, I would be surprised if the UFC you doesn't know. re sign him to a new contract, a long term contract where he's getting paid, you know, between one hundred and two hundred fifty thousand dollars a fight, you know, in the short term, which is very rare for a guy three fights into his UFC career who's got less than ten bouts in total. Uh, really, you know, yeah. impressive by comes out. I'd still love to see him in a longer fight in a fight against a guy that can actually, you know, go tit for tat with him. But you know, we we have yet to get there. Ryan Span, Johnny Walker, Ryan Span, Nick knocked him down twice in the first few seconds of the fight. I was looking like a genius. And then out of nowhere, he went for a sloppy takedown, and Johnny Walker hit those Travis Brown elbows uh, and hammer fists and yep. was able to TKO him. It's a shame because Ryan Spann, I think, has the bigger ceiling. And, yeah, Ryan Spann is a talented guy. Unfortunately, his chin was a concern. I spoke about that last week. And Johnny Walker's chin is way worse given how many times he was dropped here. But, yeah, Ryan Spann made a bad decision. I think that he should have just been safe and thrown another couple of bombs, and that could have been it for the fight. 
Instead, he went for a sloppy takedown. You don't want to go for a takedown where your hips are at the same height as your head. You want your hips to be under your head. That way you have the leverage to actually lift your opponent and get that double leg or single. And Ryan Spann made kind of a bad mistake, and it cost him. I knew that he was going to be smart enough to go for takedowns against Johnny Walker, who has mediocre takedown defense, but he made a huge mistake, and it was a costly one in the first few minutes against Walker, man. Like, anything could happen, and you've got to be careful. Past that point, you're fairly safe, and Ryan Spann was not able to get past it. Yeah, I mean, Walker's must-see TV because his... I mean, I, I think he's not great with balance, and he's so kind of all over the place. I couldn't tell how bad he was hurt versus what was a slip. But he definitely uh, was on was on the defensive. But he can he can turn things around really quickly against mid level um, mid level light heavyweight competition. He was knocked down clean twice, Nick. But he did recover quickly. To his credit, here's the th- here's what like solidified my belief that Ryan Spann was more likely to win this fight is the fact that we talked about how Johnny Walker went to Faraz Zahabi and trained in Canada. Nick, he switched teams and went to what I believe is the worst like. Worst coach with the name in the sport. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, he's in Cameron. Ireland now, right? Yeah. What is he thinking? This guy, like Johnny Walker is a mess of a human being. I don't know why he didn't, he couldn't just stick to like a solid gym. He had to go to a shitty gym in Ireland. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. I'm sure John Cavanaugh was very happy to have him there. Um, Mackenzie Dernick, first round submission over Randy Love Marcos. Love her. Didn't have to go that way. Looked like a million bucks. Oh, she, she looked phenomenal, but it didn't have to go that way. Randy Marcos just like, jumped right into her guard because she has low MMA IQ. Like she engaged with her in the yeah. grappling sense more, much more than she had to. Mackenzie Dern has 7% takedown offense. She gets almost no takedowns for every attempt that she gets. Right. Random Marcos just needed to stay patient and defend and land some strikes. Mackenzie Dern is the more athletic girl, of course. So it wouldn't have been that simple either. I get that. Um, we're talking about a girl who's nine and one versus a girl who's 10 and nine now. So I guess Mackenzie Dern was bound to win the fight anyway, but random Marcos has for the first time in her career, uh, broken her streak. She has gone win loss, win loss alternated between wins and losses her entire UFC career. And for the first time, Nick, she's got two losses in a row in the ultimate fighting championship. I suppose that in itself is an accomplishment. What are your thoughts, buddy? I thought she, I thought she looked fantastic, man. It was like watching somebody with a grappling dummy. I wanted to point out how amazing just Dern looks physically, like the issues with making weight, all the stuff that was like pre her becoming a mom. Um, she looks like fitness wise. She looks like a million bucks. She looks way better after having a kid in terms of her, uh, in terms of her fitness and probably her diet and her training than, than, uh, before she was a mom. So like a lot of credit there. Yes, sir. Uh, Kevin Holland, David Dvorak, Damon Jackson with an upset over Mirsad Bektik. That was pretty impressive stuff. Mara Buena Silva with a first-round armbar. I saw that coming. I talked about how Mara Barella is going to get the takedown, and she is very likely to get submitted once she does. Jessica Rose Clark destroyed Sarah Alper. Derek Minner caught TJ Laramie. I should have saw this coming. TJ Laramie almost got caught a couple times in his contender series fight early with the submission. And if he was going to engage with Derek Minner in the first couple of minutes, he was going to be in danger. And Derek Minner did his thing. Randy Costa with a head kick knockout of Journey Newsom. Randy Costa, who moved from Boston to America top team. Andre Ewell was just too big and too fast for Irwin Rivera, who has so much heart and grit. I'm, I'm a fan of Irwin's. And, uh, of course, Tyson Nam with a second-round knockout over Jerome Rivera. Nick, what were your thoughts on any of those? I think that's two split decisions in a row Rivera's lost. Uh, and I, I like I like the guy quite a bit. 
Um, Jess Heroes Clark looked like a million bucks, but I don't think Sarah, I said before, I didn't think Sarah Alper was UFC level and I hold, I hold that. Yeah. I mean, the most, uh, David Dvorak, Jordan Espinosa looked really good, but Dvorak is really sound. He's so much fun to watch yeah. as a defensive fighter. He's so disciplined. I don't want to fall into using chess metaphors <clears throat> like Dominic Cruz did and like anyone <laughs> will ever, um, because of his background. But I really, um, enjoyed watching a fight like. Espinosa's got some real striking gifts uh, and very fast hands, and Dvorak just like was so measured. I, I really enjoyed watching him. I thought Darren Stewart could have gotten that nod over Kevin Holland. That was a very entertaining fight yeah. uh, between two talented guys. I like them both. Um, the, but the most interesting thing, though, and this is a trend that we've seen on Fight Island and the Apex, uh, was Damon Jackson's win. These guys uh, who have been gone from the UFC, uh, like or who are journey, who are journeymen. Not Journey Newsom, but Journeyman, uh, like Kevin Kroom, like uh, oh my God, that guy that, um, yeah, I'm like Keanu too. I know uh, who you're talking about. Oh my God, the guy, and then he came back and he fought, he fought again and lost the decision, but was, but was still pretty competitive. Um, there's a lot of guys uh, stepping up from the regional scene or just outside who um, UFC fighters are taking on short notice, maybe without the proper preparation. And uh, big up, big upsets are going down. I think if you were to look at more than uh, upsets, at, at more than uh, let's say an extra uh, plus two hundred, that more of them have happened in the last six months than probably the last three years. Um, we're seeing, you know, a couple of them. Uh, really one a week it, like about we've been at about one a week for a while it does feel that and way. Uh, damon jackson damon jackson looked uh, looked terrific he never stopped trying he was he had great gas tank and he was trying despite mirsad uh, having the superior athletic gifts and amazing uh top game and takedown defense and just gr and just grappling prowess damon jackson's jujitsu and his killer instinct instinct going for and committing to uh, subs and essentially keeping uh, an exhausting uh, Beckett through having to defend those while also mounting his own grappling offense that by the time the third round started he was Jackson what didn't seem any more tired and and Beckett was was ripe for the picking and he ended up in the same guillotine he had been in you know four other times in the fight but this time Jackson was a Jackson was able to finish and Beckett didn't have uh, you know didn't have the resources left um to you know to survive so uh, you know very interested to see what happens to damon jackson next but what a disappointment uh Bechtick has been yeah Bechtick kind of you know he's known for blowing his load in the first round and he kind of corrected that a little bit he's been working on it and then he did it here again because i think he expected to dominate you know a guy that took this on such such short notice that he figured he could get that first round finish on the ground uh, didn't work out for him. Like, the guy needs to learn his fucking lesson. L look, he's athletic as heck. He was compared to GSP at one point. He is one one-hundredth of, and you know, a truly, truly top five-level fighter. I don't think he has what it takes whatsoever. But, yeah, it, it is, you know, an impressive, uh, impressive performance by Damon Jackson. The guy's 18-3 and three neck. Like, that's fucking great record. I know he had a bit of a UFC stint before, but... Like, I, I'm interested in seeing the guy again. Like, I don't think he's going to get away with third-round submissions against other opponents, so he's going to need to put a lot more out there. But he trains with a 
Fortis MMA, a, a solid team, uh, came in here on short notice. And I think, like you spoke about how there are a lot of these upsets happening more recently than ever. I think part of it is the short notice nature uh, with which a lot of these guys are taking the fight and the fact that they know they might be called up on short notice because there's a lot of opportunity to step in last minute now. And so a lot of these guys are in training camp full-time, especially if they live near that Vegas area. They're in training camp full-time, and they're getting ready, and they know that any minute that call might come in, their conditioning is going to be on point. They just need to put kind of a last-minute game plan together. And he's in another And they example. don't have to travel. That Yeah, yeah. For many of these guys, they don't have to travel. And, Nick, uh, this creates betting opportunities because the odds makers are getting a lot of these wrong, and that is why we are 280% up from our initial starting tally four weeks ago, Nick, started at $300. We are now at $833, six weeks in a row of profits. We are doing really well, Nikolai. Well, you are. I've got to, you won't let me, you won't let me buy in, you son of a bitch. Can I just recommend you listen to the MMA Geek C-Level podcast? And in the final segment, Nick, we do a betting guide and maybe follow the betting guide, invest your money and reap the benefits. What do you think? Don't condescend me, you Ichabod Crane looking motherfucker. <laughs> All right, buddy, let's take a break, come back, and break down UFC 254. Back on the MMA Geek Sea Level podcast to break down UFC 254 Israel Adesanya versus Paulo Costa. Nick. Israel Adesanya undefeated at 16-0, a good portion of his wins by finish. Paulo Costa undefeated at 13-0, a good portion of his wins by finish. These guys are both alpha males, both really effective with their strikes. Neither of them are known for going for takedowns whatsoever. This is going to be a fight between a tall kind of technician and like a like more explosive, stockier, powerful bruiser. Should be a fascinating main event, Nick. I believe I had the first pick last week, which means you get the first pick this week. For those that don't know, the way it works is that we each take turns picking fighters on an upcoming card. And at the end of Saturday night, whoever ends up with the most number of winning picks wins the event. I am up 14 to Nick's 8, as things should be. I'm going to double him up in a couple of weeks here. Nikolai, what is your first pick, buddy? I am going to win this week. I am going to crawl back up. I'm going to reach the top of the mountain, and then I'm going to extend my hand to shake yours and then push you off. You're going to do the whole fingers through your hair thing once I extend my hand back to shake yours? You're going to fake me out? I'm going to fake you out and then push you off, and then I'm going to put my hand up to my ear so I can listen really, really carefully as I hear as I yell all the way down. No, is I I'm, it's more for the splatter. <laughs> I want to catch this. I want to I want to catch the splatter. Um, all right, my first pick, which I'm assuming was also going to be your first pick, uh, it's going to be Jake Matthews over Diego Sanchez. We've got a tough 26 year old kid, lot of uh, from Australia, a lot of Australians and New Zealanders on this card. The city kickboxing guys. Um, he's a uh, a Brazilian jiu jitsu black belt. He's had mixed success in the UFC. Jake Williams, but he has some signature wins over Li Zhang uh, and Ariola, but some tough losses to higher level content like Kevin Lee, uh, higher level competition like Kevin Lee and uh, Tony Rocco Martin. Uh, but at this stage, he should be able to have his way with Diego Sanchez, who's kind of crazy, who didn't, although he won by DQ, didn't bring a whole lot against uh, Michelle Pejia. Um, I just, I just don't think Diego has enough in the tank to beat. Uh, a, a mid-level uh, a mid-level fighter yeah sanchez is an old man with the iq of a very very young kid 
plus possibly some CTE mixed in there, which would, I think, explain a lot. He switched from a flawed but legitimate camp at Jackson Winks to a McDojo under what seems to be a fraud of a coach. He's technically 3-1 and one in his last four fights, but he stole one from Michel Pereira after taking kind of a partial knee while down. He took the DQ uh, even though he wasn't actually hurt in his last fight. Started his UFC career blitzing opponents to the ground and pounding away until they couldn't take anymore. Now he dances around and takes punches while doing weird movements that presumably should help align his heart with his soul, which should bring out his warrior spirit. Don't quote me on that. Jake Matthews grew up in the UFC from an inexperienced and limited lightweight in 2014 to a big, well-developed welterweight six years later. He prefers to take top position and pound against good strikers, but he is now kind of the wrestling to do it, and he's really developed his striking as well, although his chin can be a little bit fragile. He has also been submitted a couple times in the UFC, but he should have his way with Sanchez here. Sanchez is just at a point where like, we, we need to have an intervention and explain to him that the training that he's doing is equivalent to witchcraft. He'll pro- he'll probably lose, but you know, a lot of people doubted Mike Mike Perry firing all of his coaches and going to his girlfriend. And he looks pretty good in his last fight. He fought a mediocre opponent, Nick. He fought a guy that Diego Sanchez dominated and finished. True. I don't think I don't think that Diego Sanchez is is going to win the fight. I also just want to state that although I alluded to the fact that Matthews was he is a, a fighter from down under. Um, but he is not uh, a city kickboxing uh, fighter. He's he, he fights with Nexus out of Australia. Um, but there are a lot of a lot of uh, Oceania. There's actually a difference between New Zealand and Australia, Nikolai. I know that, but there's also a lot of Australian fighters at city kickboxing. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right there. They just moved. All they did was they take a boat or a plane. They just land and then they go. <laughs> you, th- you think it's that a boat? You think they take a boat like a rowboat? They take over there. Shut up. All right. I see how it is. What's your, um, what's your pick? My pick, my first pick is going to be Kai Kara France to beat Brandon Royval. Uh, KKF has beaten Ooh. better fighters than Brandon Royval in Julian Paiva and Tyson Nam. He has UFC experience and he's ranked. Like he's a super busy offensive fighter, trains with an elite team. And from what I understand, him and the crew at City Kickboxing all got together and literally lived at the gym, kind of dormed there and got all their work done. Royval has a solid ground game and plenty of heart, but this is, I think, too much too soon from the UFC neophyte who, you know, got away with a submission after getting dominated in his UFC debut. But I don't know that he's going to be able to bring Kaikar France to the ground. Having said that, Kaikar France has eight losses, and so you know he he can he can always kind of go back to those ways. I just feel like he's at a really good point in his career, super busy and super experienced at a high level. Yeah, my thoughts on this, you know, we've got an, a, a city kickboxing guy in Kai Car France, and we're we're talking about a fighter with ninety percent takedown defense uh, in France against Royval, who, in his limited UFC experience, has a hundred percent takedown accuracy. So one of those things is going to give. I think that France's defense holds up, and he outstrikes him uh, and beats him up for three rounds. But if Royval gets on top of him, if he takes him down. Could get really interesting. Uh, France does have a bunch of losses, but I believe that most of his submission losses were very early in his career, in his first ten fights uh, or so. Um, so, it, but it it could get interesting. I had this fight a little bit further down uh, than this, but uh, I agree with you on the pick. Talk to me, buddy. What you got next? Oh, uh, next I've got. Uh, I put down. Oh, I got a. I've got Juan Espino. Uh, to defeat Jeff Hughes. Um, so 
Espino's a strong guy with great with great submissions. He was the tough winner of that heavyweight group that Robert Whitaker coached. Um, and he's taking on Jeff Hughes here, who really didn't look great against Todd Duffy uh, before that eye poke. I mean, a lot of people remember that as Duffy wanting out of the fight, but Duffy was largely was largely winning the fight. I mean, Hughes wasn't giving up, but it was like if the round had ended, Duffy was gonna was gonna win the round. Um, also, Duffy was able to take him down, and he. Uh, he lost his subsequent fight. Hughes did. Espino is forty. We haven't seen him in two years, but these these Brazilian guys who, um, you know, who who hit forty and show up after two years, they don't usually show up with worse jujitsu. So I suspect that he'll be able to pull. He, Hughes also doesn't have like crazy knockout power, uh, at least not in the the fights that that I've seen. He land he landed plenty and maybe you know got some guys' attention. But I don't think he's going to land a walk, you know, a walk off uh, KO. So I think Espino is going to be able to drag him to the ground and get a choke or grab an arm and do his, you know, do his thing. We'll see some hopefully quick heavyweight jits. If he can't get him down for some reason or this ends up going into the second or third round, it could be could be trouble uh, courtesy of Hughes's hands. I just don't see it going that way. Yeah, Juan Espina is the tough 28 heavyweight winner. He trains at America Top Team. He's been out for 19 months after his uh, tough finale win. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu specialist. Not the best wrestling, but he does tend to drag those kind of mid-level heavyweights down. Um, not the most technical striking, but he does hit pretty hard, especially with that overhand. Hughes trains with Stipe Miocic in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Decent low-output striker. He prefers to counter, but he can be gun-shy. He hasn't picked up a win in the UFC yet, and he trains with the heavyweight champion, the heavyweight GOAT. Hughes has the takedown defense and the striking skill to win this fight, but I'm picking the specialist since Hughes has underperformed in, his, in the UFC so far, and Juan has made the best of every opportunity yet. Granted, again, he's not a young guy. Uh, he's actually got a little bit of a what seems like maybe a modeling career, Nick, like got, got all these snazzy photos and very stylish garb. Um, I, I don't know if he's like a model in Brazil, but he is a beautiful, large Brazilian man. Uh, my next picnic is going to be... Is your wife getting you his 2021 calendar? If if there Christmas? is such a thing, I am very interested. And, and I hope that, Nick, okay. somewhere in June or July that there's a Speedo photo. Is that really a lot to ask for? My next picnic is going to be in the Dominic Reyes versus Yan Blackwick's matchup, the co-main event of the evening. Yan has improved tremendously since entering the UFC six years ago started his career at two and four in the promotion and he's gone seven and one since then his wins include uh, Corey Anderson Jacare Souza Luke Rockhold and Jared Cannonier. now that I think about it most of them are against former kind of top uh, former current top middleweights he has heavy hands and uh, great counters against aggressive opponents his takedown defense is solid now uh, used to be a little shoddy earlier in his career his offensive wrestling has come in handy occasionally as well against good strikers um, and he's at his best even though he's 37 years old Dominic Reyes likes to kick at a distance against powerful counter striker uh, counters really well with his left hand against an aggressive opponent so he kind of has a, a game plan for both um, gets up right away if he's on his back he can be taken down but you will not hold this man down. I haven't seen a single UFC fighter do that, including John Jones. Excellent lateral movement. Solid defense of opponent's counters. Usually he blocks them. Like There are a lot of guys that counter well, but they can't handle the opponent's comeback. And Dominic, uh, Dominic Reyes is really good in that sense, and that's rare in the UFC because that's like uh, a second and third level to your kind of uh, striking game. Very fast for 205 pounds. He has wins over Jared Cannonier, OSP, Vulcan Ozdemir, Chris Weidman, and arguably, according to most MMA fans and pundits, he has a win over John Jones. Um, 
Blockwitz is great at countering kicks like he did against Rockhold and Corey Anderson, right? But Reyes takes the outside angle before throwing his left kick and is ready for a counter. Also, the left kick doesn't leave the opportunity for the right hand to drop as much as the right kick does. Uh, because if you kind of throw your right hand against the southpaw who's throwing a left kick, you leave your body exposed to taking that kick. Blockwitz has serious power, but Reyes has never been knocked down. Reyes has an average of one knockdown per 15 minutes of fighting. That's extremely high, man. And Yan has an average uh, has an average half as many knockdowns. Reyes lands more strikes per minute and takes less strikes per minute. Look, it's possible that Yan catches Reyes at some point in the fight. He has serious knockout power, uh, power on the counter. And he is in a great place mentally, judging by the footage from the Embedded series so far this week. But I think Reyes' pace, speed, power, and durability earned him a competitive but clear-cut decision. He should have had the light heavyweight title around his waist already, and I think this fight will make this right. It would be cool to see Yan realize his dream at 37 after all the hard work and improvement he's shown over the past few years. But I do have uh, Dominic Reyes. I think he's an elite athlete, and I hope that he kept like he kept his hunger, even though he has you know he has a lot of respect from the MMA community for that performance against John Jones um I agree with you but I have I had this later um Reyes is younger faster I think strength is about equal the reach is about the same Reyes kicking game's key here I think from kicking distance uh he's that's where he's got to keep the fight I mean Blakovich didn't have an easy time up against the cage uh with Rockhold so I could see Reyes doing some damage there too but Jan has insane power they both do really um but Jan really excels at landing off the break landing at awkward times you can't sleep on him for a second you need distance balance composure he's so crafty in defense at all times or he will sleep you and I believe he can knock out anyone at this weight class including Dominic Reyes but he has fewer weapons in general and is slower than Reyes but the thing to watch is and he did this a ton in the Jones fight Reyes sometimes attacks with his chin out ahead of his body if he does this against Jan like he did against John Jones he can get slept he needs to give him no openings over 25 minutes and overwhelm him with offense while keeping his defense tight what I think will happen is that Reyes will be prepared and we're going to see a lot of kicks powerful kicks uh to the legs and the body um early and he will he will damage and take the wind out of Jan Blakovich's sails but I could absolutely see the crafty opportunistic veteran catching still the less experienced Reyes and really shocking the world I think um logic says Reyes gets to him early and often I will not be surprised if we see an upset and although I'm picking Reyes I like the I like Blakovich's as, as an underdog bet yeah, I'm 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 largely there with you. I, I do agree. Like, here's the thing about Blakovich. He's gone five rounds several times, but when he does, he's extremely low paced. And I think Reyes has shown the ability to switch up his game plan. I talked about how on the front foot, he's very good at throwing consistent kicks at a distance at an angle that's hard to counter him. And when you're throwing at him, he's excellent at slipping and countering with that left uh, with that clean left hand for which like if he lands on you if you're just about anybody you're probably going down um i think john jones doesn't have the counter power that does uh Blackwick, so for that reason i think that he's going to be much more careful here uh reyes is nick uh, i believe it is your next pick buddy it's my pick and this is a, tr- a tough one but i'm gonna i'm gonna whew, i'm gonna do it I'm going to pick Caitlin Vieira uh, to defeat Sarge Eubanks. We have an underdog fighter in Eubanks here coming in with supreme confidence off of her, her terrific uh, performance two weeks ago and a favored fighter who suffered one of the few one-punch KOs in women's UFC uh, history, maybe the worst KO. 
that that we've seen. There's not a lot of of walk offs uh, coming off of one shot. Even Rousey, although that hit head kick from home was like a walk off KO, it came after an, a large accumulation of damage. Um, versus uh, Vieira taking that shot from Aldana and just like boom dropping. Um, and Eubanks now has better cardio than before and a lot of strength, but. Caitlin Vieira has incredibly versatile and technical takedowns. And once Vieira gets her down, will she be able to get back up? I don't think so. I think that Vieira is uh, too technical and too skilled. And remember, like not that long ago, Roxy Mataferi, was, who's also a very technical grappler, um, but probably not as strong as Vieira, was able, uh, was able to keep Eubanks down uh, for a round. So I think... I think that Caitlin gets her takedowns here. I also think for the number of shots that we saw Eubanks land in her last fight, who was that against? Avila, uh, the Julia Avila. Avila, that's what I was. Yeah, sorry, I get, I get a doll, uh, I get the yeah against Avila. She landed a lot of shots, and Avila was getting the best, better of the of the strikes and hitting harder. So I don't think I think that once Vera uh, takes a couple of shots, and as long as she can eat them, and she's not. You know, she's not chinny, and it was really about Aldana being extremely gifted. Um, I think she's going to get confidence back, and we'll see, you know, we'll see a shift there. But this is a fighter coming in probably with a lot of self, a favorite fighter with a lot of self doubt against an underdog, uh, riding incredible self belief. I just don't think that Eubanks has the KO power to, um, you know, uh, to give. To say, yeah, to hurt Vieira and to sap her of her confidence. I think that as she gets hit, she will get stronger. Her composure will get better, and that the that versatile set of throws and takedowns will take over. Yeah, uh, Vieira trains with Nova and Yao. She's a BJJ black belt. She's a judo black belt. You talked about her kind of takedowns, um, really good trips, solid pressure counter striker. Good takedown defense, 92%. In fact, she only gave up one takedown in the, her UFC career. That was to an Olympic silver medalist in wrestling and Sarah McMahon. Physically very strong, large, tall girl with a decent reach, 5'8", 68 inches in, in reach. Um, she is fairly hittable, though, and she's not very fast, but she has a lot of kind of brute strength to make up for that. And when she is on her back, she doesn't have a great get-up game. She prefers to go for submissions and turnovers, very kind of jujitsu mentality. And she's coming off of her first loss by KO to Irina Aldana, which you alluded to. Eubanks is a BJJ black belt, super strong, solid power in her strikes. Um Good ground and pound and overall top game, I would say. Not nearly as good from the bottom. Sometimes tires late, but lately has shown improvements in that, especially in her fight 10 or so days ago against Julia Avila. Um, look, uh, she's now starting to reap the rewards of joining that team uh, of the uh, Nick Catone, Ricardo Almeida, Mark Henry team, as they seem to have a solid operation with several high-level female fighters in addition to their already robust male roster. This is an absolute pick 'em. Eubanks has solid takedown defense, but Vero has uh, I'm sorry, solid takedowns, but Vero has excellent takedown defense and solid judo takedowns. Then again, Vera doesn't get up if taken down. Eubanks was also taken out in her last fight against Avila and kind of hung out on her back for a bit. Vera has been honing her striking game, but is coming off a knockout loss. Where is her confidence? I've got to wonder, you know. Uh, Eubanks looks much improved than her striking execution and conditioning, which were her kind of biggest faults prior to this. So I'm going with Eubanks' momentum and development over Vera's size and youth, but I would not at all be surprised if uh, if you're right and Vera is able to take this one, Nick. My next pick is going to be Israel Adesanya to beat Paulo Costa. 
We all know Israel is a high-level kickboxer with a 65-5 record. He does not like to initiate with anything besides a jab and a leg kick. And he's a careful counter-striker, very selective with his, shot, with his shots. When he fights another counterfighter, it can result in a tepid, slow fight, right? As we saw with Anderson Silva and Yoel Romero, that's not the case here. When he fights an offensive fighter, he looks brilliant with deadly counters uh, like he... Like he did, uh, like he he did have trouble against Kelvin Gastelum's speed, but Costa is not that fast, especially past the first round. In Glory, he lost to uh, pressure fighter Jason Wilness, but Jason is a pressure counter fighter. He doesn't just nonstop throw offense. He pushes forward, waits for you to throw something, and encounters you, right? And there's a notable difference there. When Adesanya was hit by Romero with clean shots, it was almost exclusively by getting countered. And when Romero threw first, he wasn't really able to land very clean. Adesanya has been susceptible to leg kicks in glory, and he took a few against Romero, but Costa doesn't really throw a whole lot of leg kicks. He throws body kicks. Costa's a big, powerful pressure fighter. He's like all offense, all power shots. Being as heavily muscled as he is, he doesn't look like he has good cardio, but he does. Um, he has a solid, fast body kick, got the prospect treatment on his way up the UFC ranks, a couple of mid-level opponents, followed by high-level gatekeeper Uriah Hall, and then right to Yal Romero, and then here we are at a title shot. He lands with power, but almost never knocks an opponent unconscious, right? His punch placement is not like the best in the world. He doesn't really clip that chin. He gets you upside the head, not even really your temple. He tends to hit, uh, w when he does land clean, he has the power to face plant Yarl Romero, though. He, he got Yarl on the jaw, and Yarl literally just fell, fell flat to his face. The misconception about him getting knocked down by Yarl, by the way, is a little bit of, like it bothers me, right? Yoel threw a punch at the same time as Costa was off balance and already kind of falling. And the punch partially landed. It barely landed. And Costa ended up falling. And a lot of people think that he got knocked down by him. He didn't. So by all indications, the chin is solid. Although he did get knocked down by a Uriah Hall jab. And I felt that jab, Nick. It is one of the hardest punches of anybody I've ever sparred. No joke. So as long as Adesanya stays off the cage with lateral movement, he'll be hard to hit. Adesanya has great footwork and doesn't generally get caught against the fence. Adesanya is a master counter-striker, and Costa will give him plenty to counter. Costa is very active and dangerous for two rounds, and then if his opponent survives, there's an opportunity to take over since he doesn't manage his energy well and has no five-round experience. I talked about how he has good uh, cardio, but... Like, it's incredible that he can put out the kind of output that he can for 10 minutes, right? Like, most people can't do that. Even some of the most reputable cardio machines in the UFC can't do that. But the fact is that he does put everything out there, and that has to mean that he slows down later in a fight, which makes him less dangerous and susceptible. It's possible to KO Adesanya, and Costa has power, but with Adesanya moving away, rolling with the punches, plus Costa's lack of precision, it's not likely that he'll catch him clean on the chin, I don't think. I'm going with Adesanya for a late TKO against a Tired Costa, who never really quits or stops trying. Um, but if Adesanya is very defensive, this could be a close decision. What are your thoughts, buddy? Yeah, my th I, I actually think this was an easier pick than uh, than than the light heavyweight title fight. It, I'll boil it down to. I mean, you you basically nailed it. But I'll boil it down to a Conor McGregor quote, which is precision beats power, timing beats speed. Adesanya is the most matrixy striker in the UFC right now. You watch what he did to Whitaker and how and when those shots landed. He's a he's just a remarkable striker and has terrific defense. 
I think this is going to be like Connor against uh, Dustin Poirier or Connor against Aldo or Adesanya against Whitaker. I think that I think that Costa is going to be very surprised and not know what hit him. I think I could see Adesanya knocking him out in the first round. Yep. Wow, really? I just don't. I think Costa's, Costa's, yeah, Costa's super athletic, and his out, his output's great. But like you said, he's not, he's not very precise. He's extremely hittable, and he's extremely hittable uh, to guys who are not as talented as Israel Adesanya. So if Costa comes in fighting uh, like he normally does, and with his ruthless aggression, which is really his only path to victory, I think it's uh, me. And I'll even evoke another fight. I could see him looking a lot like. Uh, like Forrest Griffin on at the uh, on oh, the other side of Anderson Silva. I don't know about all that. That's crazy talk. Well, well, you will. Well, well, you will. You will know all about right. it. Stan. All right, Nick. All right, we'll, we'll we'll talk about it next week. I will call you out, motherfucker. What's your next pick? Well, I said. I, well, listen. I said it could be. Po- it was possible, but I see Adesanya finishing the fight. I don't think Costa has any idea what's going to hit him. Yeah. Um, my next fight is my next pick is the decorated K1 kickboxer from City Kickboxing, Brad Riddell, uh, who's coming off. Uh, a, a very close split decision win against Magomed uh, Mustaev, um, uh, where he knocked down Mustaev in the first round. A uh, guy trains with Israel Adesanya, taking on Alex da Silva, 24 year old fighter with over 20 pro fights. Who watching, you know, watching tape on him, he, he looks really, really great against the regional competition. I don't think he's UFC caliber yet, and I believe that Riddell has proven that he most certainly is. Uh, I, I think Riddell's gonna gonna knock him out in fairly short order. Yeah, I don't know if he's gonna knock him out in short order, but I I am with the Brad Riddell pick. I think the odds are too lopsided Ooh, here. Did you see him knock? Did, did you see him knock down Mastayev, who's never been knocked down before? I. I did see it, but uh, Mustayev also took him down several times. And Alex Da Silva, if there's one thing he's talented in, it's takedowns. And I could see the possibility of him riding out a couple of rounds from top position and surviving outside of that. It's not like Brad Riddell has, you know, has, has been running through guys and finishing them. So look, Alex Da Silva is overrated. He spent the majority of his career fighting mediocre competition. And that's why he came into the UFC either undefeated or almost undefeated. I think he had 20 wins and 20 finishes. Uh, Brad's obviously a high-level striker, uh, is a coach at City Kickboxing. Not only is he one of the fighters, trains uh, obviously with Adesanya, Dan Harker, and those guys. Solid get-up game, serious power, high-level setups to big power shots. De Silva is a big, strong kid, trains out of Astro Fight Team, 21-2 and record, but like I said, largely against guys with losing records, 1-1 one one in the UFC, losing to Alexander Yakovlev after dominating him. He got, he got caught. Um, solid wrestling, not the best control, telegraphs his strikes, but decent service level tech, surface level technique, I'd say. Brad was taken down multiple times in his last fight against Mostafayev, who's a more technical and explosive version of Da Silva. Chance that Da Silva scores enough time control for two rounds to win a decision, but I'll, but I doubt he can control him or compete with Brad standing. So I am there with you on the pick, and that probably would have been my next pick as well, Nick. I also just want to say there's a little bit of a difference from a takedown standpoint between like a freestyle wrestling, like Sambo, you know, like Sambo master. And I think uh, De Silva's grappling game, wrestling game. I mean, you're talking about a guy who train who trains with Burkut Fight Club, who came out, of, who came out of the Sochi scene and keeps, keeps company with some killer grapplers. Yeah, but he's known as a striker and he got multiple takedowns. He's not really, he's not like Khabib, right? Yeah. They're two different, uh, two different kind of Eastern European Caucasus fighters that we get there. 
almost always super athletic. They're either extremely like the super explosive strikers with spinning back kicks and that kind of thing, or they're extremely good grapplers. Yeah. There are very few that kind of put both those together. And Mustafaev is mostly like a solid striker who got outstruck, to be fair, by yeah. Brad Riddell. My next picnic, and and this is where I think things are getting pretty tough. I think that I'm going to take Hakeem Duwadu in his matchup against Zubara Tahubov. Uh, Duwadu is a pressure fighter, kicks from range, counters with punches and kicks, very athletic and fast, and really fast reactions. Tahubov is a solid top position grappler, developed good stand-up, and has natural power. He's either knocked out or knocked out his last two opponents. Cardio has not been like super reliable for him, and he's really good on the front foot, and if he's being backed up, he's not nearly as good. And Tahubov has good takedowns, but Duwadu defends well and gets up from bottom. Tuhugov has power, but Duwadu has a 5.5-inch reach advantage and should be way faster. Uh, Tuhugov doesn't do well when pressured, and Duwadu will pressure all fight long. Uh, I like Duwadu to get his biggest win of his career by decision here. Uh, I'm, I, I don't agree with the pick. I'm picking uh, Tukagov. I, I look at Muay Thai versus Samba specialist. I think this, I th- and I, I don't remember being particularly impressed by Duwadu's output. I could see, maybe I'm misremembering that. He's one of the guys I didn't get to tape to. But I, I think that there's, I think the strength and pressure uh, is going that there's going to be, you know, two rounds of grappling control from, uh, you know, from our Sambo fighter. It's possible. Uh, but, you know, I respect, uh, I respect your pick. Uh, my next pick as we get down to the nitty gritty is, oof, this is so tough. Yeah. I'm going to pick Cadiz, Cadiz uh, um, Ibrahimov, who's 0-3 in the UFC against Danilo Marquez, uh, who... It has has one of his most recent wins was against a guy who was zero and sixteen. I think the one before that was against a five and four regional fighter. I don't know what Cadiz <laughs> Ibrahimov has on them on the UFC, <laughs> but after three after three fights where he got finished every possible way, he's getting a fourth fight against a guy who is six six and fairly unknown and who's huge for the very tall for the for two of five even um, is coming in here like seems like a you know seems like they're trying to serve this guy up a can that doesn't mean it's a sure thing which is why we're picking it all the way down here but like i don't get it and i feel like they must i don't know this is weird i'm picking a uh, i'm picking a bragamov but i don't do so with confidence i don't really know what the hell's going on yeah i don't blame you bragamov <laughs> uh, should be able to defend most takedowns and land some hard shots for a win but also maybe not it's not really a UFC level bout, and I don't really care who wins, to be honest with you. But I know, you know, for the sake of our draft, it is uh, it is in there. So I'm glad you made the pick. My next pick is going to be at light heavyweight. I am picking the training partner, another training partner on this card of the heavyweight goat, Stipe Miocic. Camer, I believe his name is, to get the win. Yes. Um, I, I just think uh, yep. I just think Camer should be able to keep it standing and win via knockout. Knight has power too, but I favor the younger, more dynamic fighter who trains with you know the heavyweight goat. Yeah, and Knight's uh, also yeah, he's just with a really he's a really 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 good team. Whereas Knight's fighting out of a I think a, a small t- unheralded team out of Hartford, Connecticut, in my backyard. Um, I thought that that Baby Slice trained there, but I could be wrong. Uh, when I was looking at his gym, I didn't see a lot of familiar names, and I saw a lot of like mediocre amateur records. He's Knight's definitely the star of that gym, according to Tapology. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that leaves the tiebreaker, right? Yep. Are you are you on the same page about that uh, pick, by the way? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. This tiebreaker, I'm frankly just going to assume that the topology masses know more than me and go with Ludovic Klein over Shane Young. 
Yeah, Young is two and one, uh, lost to Volkanovski in the UFC, and and then you know a couple of wins over mid level fighters, pressure fighter, gritty style with a high punch count. He actually trains in city kickboxing with the crew there. He's hittable as he swarms like big. T- he just throws nonstop offense. Uh, solid fighter with great cardio. He was to f- supposed to fight Nate Landwehr, but Nate tested positive for COVID nineteen. That would have been an insane, exciting fight. Klein is a serious prospect in my opinion. I just kind of turned on to him this week. He's kind of got a Krokop style uh, of southpaw game. Lots of left hands, left leg kicks, and left head kicks. He's got three head kicks, Nick, in his last several fights, and he lands it even at times when he's not getting the knockout. Well-rounded otherwise, very fast and athletic. I would tend to think that pressure is exactly what should work against Klein. He needs room to kick, and he took this fight on eight days' notice, but his Instagram shows him training in training camp for weeks now, so I think he'll be in shape. Plus, Klein has KO power, and Young is very hittable. Assuming Klein's cardio won't fail him, he should take this via KO, but Young is a gritty, nasty, nasty fighter, and he is training with the guy that beat him in uh in uh, Volkanovski yeah exactly and I feel like in those the city kickboxing energy so I really don't feel confident about this tiebreaker pick I'm very worried about it I feel pretty good about all my other picks yeah I don't I don't blame you Nick is done for the day I'm gonna come back and give you guys the MMA geeks betting guide see you later bud hasta la pasta brother And I'm back for the MMA Geeks betting guide. Last week, we had another great week of betting that makes it six weeks in a row. And it's been four weeks since we started at $300. And we moved our way all the way up to $833 now, 280% up from where we were a month ago. Some of the bets that hit last week were on uh, Tyson Nam, David Dvorak. The Covington Holland parlay came through for us. Uh, Bueno Silva made us some money. And... uh, Mackenzie Dern came through with a parlay, even though Price's draw made that kind of just a bet on Dern. Uh, the profits would have been bigger had Price gotten the win and if Baeza had ended up competing. But I'll take it $65 profits for that week, 833 overall. Let's get into the bets for this week. I'll be honest with you, I don't see quite as many opportunities as I usually do. I think there are a lot of fights that are kind of a question mark. First, I'm going to recommend a bet on the Adesanya Costa fight to go over 2.5 rounds. I know Nick said that this will end in the first round. I'm not so sure it's that simple. I think that both these men are extremely tough, mentally and physically durable, and I think there's an excellent chance this goes the distance. However, if Costa's going to win by finish, it's probably going to be in right around that 2.5 rounds or under range. But $68 to win 50 on the Costa Adesanya fight to go over 2.5 rounds. Kaikar France by decision, minus 110, $50 to win 45. I'll be honest with you, I see some risk now that I've seen a little bit more footage on Roy Val. I could see him using his kicking game to win a decision here. I don't think he's going to get takedowns on France, and that's where Roy Val is really dangerous, but I can see him outworking France, uh, standing up given that he's a notably taller guy in the matchup. There's some risk here, but $50 on Kaikar France to win 45. Also, Hakim Duwadu, I am a big believer in him over Tahugov. I think that Duhugov's takedowns are not that great. And I don't know that he's going to be able to compete with Duwadu standing. And Duhugov doesn't react well to being pressured. Duwadu is going to pressure. But I don't like Duwadu's chances of finishing the fight. So you get really good odds on Duwadu by decision, plus 190, $50 to win 98. Next, Jake Matthews. Now, he's a huge favorite, right? He's something like minus 750, which is insanity. Nobody's, you know, betting $750 on him to win 100, I don't think. But... Jake Matthews by decision, 
That's likely. Diego Sanchez doesn't get finished. He did a couple times back in 2017. I'm not sure what was going on with his chin at that moment, but if he wasn't finished in his last fight against Pereira, I don't expect him to get finished by Jake Matthews here, who's significantly less dangerous, even though he might be uh, more composed and more experienced at the UFC level. I like Jake Matthews by decision against Diego Sanchez, minus 130. Fantastic odds. $45 to win 35 on that one. Alex De Silva, I don't love his odds against Brad Riddell, but I will say if he's going to win, and it's possible since Riddell was taken down several times in his last fight, it's going to be by decision. And I think there's a chance that De Silva takes him down a couple times. Alex De Silva by decision, they're insane odds, plus 750. I'm saying put $6 in to win 45. You're probably going to lose the six bucks, but on the off chance that he pulls this off and he can hold Riddell down, you've got a nice little bit of a payday there. I've got two parlays as well. I'm breaking a little bit of a rule that I have in that I don't like to bet on the same fighter in more than one parlay, but I'm going to do it here. It's probably a mistake. Let's see what happens. Adesanya and Dominic Reyes, plus 121 odds combined, $50 to win 61 on those two. I can see Jan Blackwitz landing a bomb. That Polish power is significant, but I think Reyes should be able to use his speed advantage, his reach advantage, his kicking game is excellent. I like the positions that he puts himself when he throws a lot of these strikes. He should avoid most of those counters. He's really good about blocking counters to his counters. And I think that's what uh, would give Jan Blackwitz the highest chance of winning this fight. I predict that Reyes should do well here. Plus 121, $50 to win 61 on both Adesanya and Reyes in a parlay. Also, another Adesanya parlay. Adesanya and Sajara Eubanks. $25 to win 81 bucks on that. It's 25 bucks that I will not miss if I lose it, but if they both come through like I think they will, and I think Eubanks should be able to get takedowns against Vieira, and I think she's the better, faster striker, and I liked her composure and conditioning in that last fight against Avila. So $25 on Adesanya and Eubanks to win 81 bucks. Look, I'll be honest with you, I'm less confident this week than I have been in the weeks prior. It's, you know, it's a bit of a shaky card. I think Carl France is a bit on the risky side. I could possibly see Tuhugov walking away with a maybe controversial close decision. Um, I, I I can see some of these bets not going well. Obviously, Costa always has a shot at landing an absolute bomb on Adesanya and dropping him. But I'm going to go with my gut here. I'm going to place these bets. In worst case, if we have a couple of losses, we're going to be okay. We're $833 up from 300 bucks four weeks ago. I don't know if I mentioned that enough. I probably mentioned that too much. In any case, let's quickly look at what's coming up the following week. UFC on ESPN, Home versus Aldana. We've got Holly Home going up against Arena Aldana in the main event. I think it's an interesting matchup. They're at a crossroads where Holly Home's been struggling of late, and Arena Aldana is on her way up. Curious to see how Holly Home's point fighting style will match up against Arena Aldana, who's a pretty talented, legit boxer. Actually has a knockout win over Caitlin Vieira, who's competing on this weekend's uh, pay-per-view. We've got Jorgen DeCastro, that heavyweight's coming back, going up against a guy named Carlos Philippe, who does not sound familiar at the moment. Juliana Pena versus Jermaine Durandamy. That is interesting. These are both top-level 135-pound fighters, and I'm intrigued by the bout. Roman Kopolov was a talented prospect, 8-1, going up against Tom Breeze, who you know was once seen as a prospect and probably not the case anymore. And we've got the comeback of Carlos Condon and Court McGee, a little bit of an old man fight. I'm, I'm into these kinds of matchups. I'd rather see these guys face each other rather than get, get blasted by younger, more athletic men. Charles Jordan going up against Joshua Cooley-Bow. And then Loma Lugbume going up against Jin Yu Frey. Lugbume had her loss to Angela Hill, which is nothing to be ashamed of in today's day and age. 